Welcome to episode 18 of Speak Better. I'm Rebecca Lindquist, also known as Lindquist the Linguist, and this podcast is all about improving your speech and just in general understanding your speech, talking about it, talking about concepts relevant to speech, both for native and non-native speakers of American English. In today's episode, we'll be talking about checking for clarity and comprehension with others. How do you know if people are really understanding you? And also perhaps checking for engagement. How active are people in their understanding? Are they going to take action on what you're asking them to do? It's kind of a big topic, and I think there's just a few points I want to make. I like to, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, I like to give you insights just from my background, which is maybe a bit different, as you know, from hearing all about me over the past 17 episodes, is that I taught accent reduction as a coach to executives and professionals for many years. And so I have a slightly different take on some of these topics, different from what a public speaking coach or public speaking expert might think. Mine is more around articulation and linguistics, which we've talked about. So here's the thing. How do you know if people understand you or not? People aren't always going to tell you. In fact, in teaching, they often mention, like I've taken classes years ago to teach at the college level in the linguistics area, and we have education courses as well as subject matter courses. And one of the things we talk about is not asking questions and expecting people to to identify, you know, yes or no, if they understand something. If you just ask yes, no questions like, do you understand? People are not probably going to volunteer that they don't understand something. You have to have another way. And we know in professional settings, a lot of times that other way is a survey or feedback, but it's kind of too late at that point, right? It's after you've spoken, too late for that event at least, and it's not immediate feedback. So how can you elicit feedback from people? Of course, you can ask them to hold up their hand. That goes way back. A lot of us do that when we're speaking, you know, raise your hand if you're this or that to kind of get a sense of whether people are paying attention. But more than that, I think it just depends on the topic, what kinds of things you can say to check for clarity and comprehension. The clarity part, people should laugh when you tell a joke. So let's say you're being fairly serious and then you tell a joke. If no one's laughing, of course it could be the joke's not funny or it's inappropriate, but if you've kind of shopped that around already and you know it's a good joke and other people have laughed about it, it might be a way to know whether or not someone's understanding you. Years ago, a professor told us in a linguistics course that the reason speakers often joke around at the beginning of a speech is so you can get a sense of how they sound. Partly accent, but also just individual idiolect. And idiolect, kind of like dialect, idiolect is the individual's speech. And each one of us has a slightly different way of speaking. So if you get used to someone's speech, you may notice, like your spouse or your friends, family, you don't have to ask them to repeat. But sometimes you'll hear somebody talk and they're speaking fluent American English, but you're still kind of like, huh? And you miss things, whether it's the language they're using or the pacing they have. There are times when we don't understand others. And the better we know somebody and they have similar habits to ours, the easier they are to understand. So by telling a joke or doing something other than just hitting your topic right away, you give people a chance to get used to your speech. And I think there's some truth to that. I don't think you have to open with a crazy one-liner. But I do think that it is important to know whether or not there's clarity. We also talked about feedback and all of that. But this episode is more about what do you do in the moment to create that concept of comprehension. I think also if you're open to feedback, if you have an approach where people feel like you're not going to jump 
out of your skin if they tell you something you don't want to hear. And that happens, right? Sometimes people give us feedback we don't want to hear. So if you're the kind of person that can take that sort of feedback with a grain of salt, you don't overreact to it, then people are going to tell you right away, especially one-on-one. Public speaking is a little more challenging because maybe there's no way for somebody to tell you. You could plant somebody in the first row kind of thing and look for them for feedback, thumbs up or thumbs down. And I know people who do plant somebody at their seminars to see what's going on in terms of getting feedback on how they're doing, but I don't know that it's the best way. Also, if you've really practiced and tried out your speech, you also have to have this sort of confidence that even if you do something wrong, you can recover. Sometimes you do something and you know you said it wrong, or you know in the moment that it's wrong and it's too late to change it. So admit it. That's the first thing. Don't try to cover it up typically, depending on what it is. But if you misspeak, admit it. And then from there, when you recover, The idea is to keep going without feeling shame or without having it change your game. You know, if you make a mistake and you can't get over it, sometimes people don't recover for the rest of their talk. So you want to be able to recover quickly when you do make a mistake, and that takes practice. I also find that these breathing techniques we've been talking about can be really useful when you say something wrong or do something wrong so that you can recover more quickly. So what's a way to do that? Let's say you're talking and you make a faux pas. You pronounce a word wrong or you know you've done something that's kind of embarrassing, whatever it might be. If there's a chance to admit it, you do. Maybe it's just something you get past and you keep going. But whatever the case is, after you've said it, people maybe look at you a little uncomfortable or you realize you admit it. Then when you let it go, really feel the grounding. And I think we talked a bit about grounding. It's having your feet on the floor. You press gently into your feet You open your chest and you continue as if nothing happened. But the grounding really helps you to hold your ground, literally, to hold your ground figuratively, to hold your ground in the sense of continuing and feeling connected to your messaging, but also feeling like you have the right to speak, not feeling embarrassed, just letting it go. And it's hard to let go of things like anger, frustration. Maybe you're mad at someone else that day. Maybe it's even someone who's there, someone that works with you. So you kind of have to let that go and continue. And if that's difficult for you, the breath can help you do that. Of course, there are techniques you can do afterwards that we can talk about. But in the moment, the idea is to keep the breath flowing. I think the worst thing you can do is lock down and stop breathing. And a lot of us do that. It's like the fight-flight response where... Our voice kind of goes like that and then our pitch is going to go high and I'm going to talk faster. I'm no longer breathing. So you have to keep the ebb and flow. I sometimes consciously breathe a little deeper in the body. And again, in front of people, you may not want to do this, but if you're on Zoom or on the internet, it's easier. You put a hand on your low stomach and we're not talking about your upper stomach. It's not that rectus abdominis on top, like if you do a stomach crunch. It's way down low. The stomach exercises that you target are like those ones where you put your legs in the air and round your back, and you're really getting those low transverse abdominus muscles is what we call them in exercise. But what you want to do is get those muscles to fire because if you breathe into that deep, deep, low, lowest part of your stomach, the pelvic floor actually beneath your stomach, the low, low, lowest part of your body, it's the most stable part. And it goes with the grounding. It keeps you connected to your messaging and it keeps you strong so you can recover from an incident. And it also just gives you that sort of freedom with your voice. The voice tends to be deeper when you're speaking from those low areas. 
Now, people have said to me, well, don't we all just speak with our lungs? And a lot of people have said to me, you know, we speak with our chest. We breathe into our lungs and we use our chest. Well, yes, you use your lungs. But the idea is that when you breathe, you can inflate different parts of your body. You can inflate your chest. You can inflate your back, believe it or not. Some people aren't aware of the back body and the inflation that happens there. But you can certainly inflate your back, your sides, your rib cage, which is really important for voice, whether you're singing or talking. You can inflate, of course, your chest. You can inflate above there in the clavicle. You know, those bones that are above your chest on the side, on the right and the left are clavicles. Those can fill with air as well as the muscles around your shoulder, like between your neck and your shoulder. Those muscles, the upper chest, should be breathing too. And what I mean by breathing too is you fill that with air, like you'd inflate a balloon. And that fills with air. And then as you exhale, the whole body is speaking with you, not just one little piece. And when we go into fight flight, we tend to breathe really shallowly in the very, very front of our throat. We don't even really use our chest to breathe. We just breathe in that little narrow spot. And people hear that and it sends a frightened message. So that's sort of not recovering from whatever happened. You want to get into that really peaceful breathing. And it can be just regular stomach breathing where your stomach goes in and out like you think of yoga breathing. The downside to yoga breathing though, because yeah, it's relaxing. Okay, sure, it's great. The downside is it doesn't feed your voice's best qualities. So right now, for example, I'm not using my main sort of upper stomach, that rectus abdominis and the muscles just below it, like a big poofy. And often you'll see yoga masters doing this, breathing into that stomach, like inflating it, like you have a big tummy. And of course, you may not want a big tummy. That's one reason not to do it. But also we think of babies breathing that way, breathing into the stomach. It's a very relaxing, comfortable way to breathe, but it tends to take all of the excitement and energy out of your voice. So if you want a strong, energetic speaking voice that's deep and grounded, you want to migrate towards the bottom part, the pelvic floor. That's the strength. And you'll see singers belting a tune out from this area, this deep, deep, deep area near the pelvic floor, the transverse abdominis area. To access it, you can take your thumb and your pointer finger. I like to take just those two fingers and press them gently into the low stomach below your belly button by a couple inches. You might try coughing to find the spot. <coughs> Do a little bit of coughing. Breathe into that area. It inflates and exhale slowly. The other common misnomer is that you have to take a big breath. It's not about going, because <gasps> that's sort of the opposite of calming down and letting it go. That's kind of not a relaxed breath. That big <gasps> forced breath drives you back into fight flight. Even though you're taking a bigger breath, it's forced. So one way to think of it is we shouldn't be able to hear you breathe. You take your time, you inflate all those muscles, but if we hear, <sighs> we can hear you, that's a problem. That means you're forcing it, and we want a controlled inhalation and exhalation, not a forced one, with a little bit of a pause in between to let the air go. And you're in control and you're grounded. So using these kinds of breathing techniques, getting really centered on that right after something happens, you make a mistake, faux pas, it happens. Or somebody says something to you and you overreact to it. Whatever it might be, you calm down and you say, hey, I apologize. I shouldn't. Have, I got off track there. I shouldn't have done that. Let's get back into it. Once you say, let's get back into it, you start consciously breathing into the quieter places.
I would practice this separately though. Don't wait until you have an incident to practice. Practice all along so that nothing rattles you. You want to be a resilient individual who can come back from something. You don't want a situation where things rattle you, throw you off your game, and you can no longer recover. You want to be able to recover from a frightful incident. So that's a lot about breath and grounding. I've done a lot of this. I've worked with people a lot on this. I could talk about it forever. But let's get back to our original topic, which was how to check for clarity, comprehension, and engagement. So you recover from something and then once you have recovered, not during that process because you've got to focus to recover and get back on track, but then you want to get the audience engaged in some way. And I find having them do something can be helpful. I think we talked before about how in a presentation you don't necessarily want to have a lot of visuals like a PowerPoint. In fact, we, a lot of us believe, and I'm one of them, that if you're an engaging enough speaker, you can speak without a PowerPoint. A PowerPoint is kind of a crutch in some ways. It's not always wrong to use, but it shouldn't be something you rely on. However, in terms of engagement, I think a video, a picture, something like that is really useful because while people are watching the video, while they're interacting with something that you have up there, questions for them to ask themselves or something where you can gauge their true interest. You can see, are these people looking at their cell phones? Are they... You know, even just looking down or looking away, talking to each other, or are they really excited and looking up at you and looking at your video? And if you have something to distract so you don't have to be constantly on, maybe it's another speaker. Maybe you have someone else that jumps in and talks and you're sharing the floor with them so it's not all you. Uh, maybe there's activities. This is more like training, but I like to have activities where people get a partner, they talk to each other, so you can see if they're doing what you're asking them to do or not. Because you really don't know if someone understands unless you're giving them opportunities. But back to asking questions, if you say, for example, does anyone have questions, most people aren't going to say much. You want to find ways to get people to ask questions. And one way to do that is from the beginning to set the expectation that you love to answer questions and you're hoping that people will be taking notes, jotting down ideas, maybe give them that when they come in or maybe they use their electronics you know to do it but certainly if you give them a piece of paper and a pen and say hey write down thoughts and questions because I'll be asking for them later it sort of sets the expectation that can be helpful you can have people ask each other questions and group activities and things you can do a Q&A after there's a lot of flexibility here but I do think that you want to have an opportunity to engage people now, if you don't think people are going to have questions or you don't want to rely on that, you could even come up with some really great questions you wish they would ask you and do your own Q&A, feed it to them on the big screen. So while you're doing your PowerPoint or your videos or whatever you have up there, take a moment to say, here's some questions you may have and maybe ask for a show of hands. How many of you think number one is really important? Or ask them to rank something. Not necessarily how many of you think this question is an important one for me to answer and then you answer it. But you could also say of everything you've heard today, how many of you think this is the most important? How many of you think that is the most important? And get a show of hands, get some activity, get people to cheer or joke because when people are making noise and looking at you, you know for a fact they're in the moment. You know that they're engaged. Comprehension's a little trickier. 
Of course, there can be quizzes and things where you ask people, you know, what's the right answer, A, B, C, and have them raise their hands or have them weigh in. Depending on how technologically sophisticated your environment is, they may be able to, like on their phones, give some answer and then somebody can tabulate it and tell you what the audience is thinking. We do this a lot in online sessions. If you use something like Zoom or Citrix or whatever you like to use online, MS Team, whatever it is, and basically, you can ask people if poll them. They call it taking a poll and find out if your audience what they're interested in and what was what was more important. Like of these three issues, what do you think is the most important? And then let people weigh in, and that way you know they're engaged. Of course, online it's more important, right? Because you can't see them; they could literally be sleeping. And in person, at least, if people are sitting upright and looking around, you know that they're hopefully listening to you, you know that they're they're at least in spirit, if not mind and body. <laughs> but the idea is that you want to have ways to check for clarity, ways to check for comprehension, and get creative with it. There's a lot of different ways to do it. I wouldn't overdo it. I've been to seminars that felt like it was for kids or something, like it was too gimmicky and toys and all kinds of, you know, throwing stuff at people. And I guess some sort of conferences and things are that way. And you might go with the flow. But if you want people to take you seriously, I think you just need a way to engage people that is going to show you whether or not they're interested. If you're in a position where you're with coworkers and staff, you might even find a way to include other people in the presentation. Like you have other people come up at a certain point, you have certain activities that you run, you have subgroups, you have people sign up for things. There are ways to engage people so that you'll know that they're comprehending and you know that what's been said is clear. And there has to be a way for them to tell you if it's unclear. You know, you don't want people to interrupt you and tell you something was unclear, so you have to provide a way. And that's where having these sort of built-in multiple choice questions, raise your hand, polling kinds of things can be really, really useful. But I would encourage you to practice first, especially for non-native speakers, and catch any snafus before they occur. Catch any problems, potential problems, before they occur. So that's my piece on clarity, comprehension, engagement. I think it's super important to know whether or not people are with you. So it's worth your investment of time and energy and even money in some cases, depending on what techniques you want to use. If there's some software you can get that tabulates these results for you, more power to you. In our next episodes, we'll be talking about how you project your best self, which is kind of a big topic, but we've run around it a few times, and I'd like us to delve more deeply into that, or me specifically delve into it for you, for you to listen to. Also, how to move from scripted to unscripted, because I know a lot of people tell me that they're much more comfortable scripting something, and I feel strongly that you're really not ever going to be your best self if you're always scripted. You need to eventually move away from that, even if you're a non-native speaker who really feels more comfortable that way. You got to get outside your comfort zone to get better at what you do. And then after that, we'll be talking about how to integrate everything you've learned. Because learning stuff is one thing, but if you don't use it, you're just going to forget it. So how do we go about integrating all these takeaways that we learn from other people? How do we integrate that and change and make sure that we continue to improve? So lots of stuff to continue talking about. It's been great to get this far because I think we've gone beyond accent and dialect and we've gotten into some juicier topics and we're going to continue doing that. Talk to you next time.